Would you open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 22, last book of the Bible, last chapter. Any kids here uh, who'd like to go to children's church, any kids kindergarten to second grade, you're welcome to go to children's church if you'd like, through the door over here uh, on the right side of the sanctuary. Revelation chapter 22, and this morning we're finishing the book, verses 16 to 21. Revelation 22:16 to21. Let me read the, the text. Revelation 22:16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, "Come." And let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Well, this is the final message in our series in the book of Revelation, and it's been a really, uh, a really just delightful and encouraging experience for me to preach through this book. Uh, when I started, I wasn't sure if it would be a wonderful and encouraging experience. Uh, I, I decided to preach through Revelation primarily because we hadn't really studied apocalyptic literature on Sunday mornings like this. So I felt like there was a deficiency in our, in our sort of teaching diet as a church. So I wanted us to look at Revelation but like I said, I, I was a little uncertain about it. I thought, you know, what am I getting into? I'm way over out of my depth. Um, you know, Revelation for some can be a very contentious book with lots of different viewpoints on it. And so I thought, is this just going to start a big fight in our church and we're all going to like, you know, blow up and go our separate ways over Revelation? You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. But but I just uh, went at it. And, and even though I, I, I can't say today that I still understand every single detail or have plumbed every mystery of this book, uh, I, I can say that I have found this to be a precious book. I, I don't. That's kind of the word I just keep coming back to. It's precious. That that even though we can't fully grasp everything that it tends to communicate at every turn, you know, this is a, a, a wonderful word of God for us that has been deeply encouraging to me. Uh, and I think one of the things that makes it precious, among other things, is that is the sense that it's a direct communication of Jesus the risen Jesus, to the church. Uh, This is very much God's Word to us. And just to be clear, the whole Bible is God's Word. I'm not saying that the other parts of the Bible aren't God's Word or are less God's Word. This is all inspired equally. It is all equally uh, the Word of our Lord. But perhaps I could say that the tone of Revelation just feels a little different because um, in Revelation you have the risen Jesus directly speaking to the churches, and, and by extension to all the churches. So it's, it's not sort of 
Christ and his earthly ministry back then, even though that's God's word to us too. But there's something kind of special about Jesus speaking to us right now where we are. So that the words of Revelation are very much directed to the church today. So uh, for that reason, it's precious. Jesus is speaking. And so it's very fitting as we come to this final little section, this last few words of this incredible book in verse 16, that the emphasis here is upon Christ directly addressing us today. Jesus is speaking to us. Are we listening? Look at verse 16. I, Jesus. I, I love that. I, Jesus. This is who's talking to you right now. Revelation 22:16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. And so what, we, what we've read, everything in Revelation is very much to us and for us. It's God's testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the, the son of David. And he's the bright morning star. He's the, uh, the, the first light of dawn of God's eternal kingdom that's dawning. He's the morning star like Venus, the first light you see right before the sun rises. And he has something to say to us. And so here in the final section of Revelation, uh, what we see are there are two messages, two kind of final words from Christ to us. And the first one is what I'm going to call a jaw-dropping invitation. And the second word is a terrifying warning. So there's a jaw-dropping invitation in verse 17. And then in verses 18 and 19, a terrifying warning. Uh, so let's look at them in turn. First of all, the jaw-dropping invitation. Look at verse 17 again. What is it Jesus is saying to us? Well, first of all, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. So here's an invitation. You know, it's uh, you think about an invitation. I was thinking about invitations you get, you know, to a wedding or to a, a barbecue or a kid's birthday party or something. Uh, invitations have certain components to them that that for an invitation to be an invitation there's certain things that are present in it and i and i just noticed that those things are present here in this invitation i i can think specifically of four kind of staples of an invitation that we find here in this text uh, the first is kind of simple but somebody has to send the invitation so who is this invitation from who's issuing it i mean certainly it's jesus issuing this invitation but look specifically at verse 17 the spirit and the bride say come so the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is issuing a, a call to us, an invite. Um, and because it's from God, it kind of ratchets up the intensity of the invitation. It's not just kind of a, hey, I hope you can come, and if you can't, well, okay, whatever. I mean, this is God inviting us to something. It's more of a summons than an invitation. It's like, have you ever been driving down the road and there's some store that's doing a clearance thing, and some poor guy has got to make a few bucks, he's out there with one of those signs, you know, like big, huge liquidation sale, and he's standing there. And I don't know why, whenever those guys are out there, it always seems like it's pouring rain or snow or something. But, you know, they're standing out there like... And so you drive by that sign, uh, you know, liquidation sale, come, and, and you're invited to come and shop there. It's not that kind of invitation. Where, you know, yeah, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't go. It's more like if you were to get an invitation to the White House. <laughs> you know, the, the invitation came from the office of the president for you to come to the White House. It doesn't matter what your party affiliation is or who's in the White House or whether you voted for him or not. You should probably go, you know. If, if the White House invites you, 
even though you're not obligated to go, you probably should take up that invitation. Well, this is even bigger than that. This is the King of Kings summoning us to His presence in the royal palace. This is the Spirit of God summoning us. And look who else sends the invitation, verse 17. The bride says come. Now, who's the bride in Revelation? The church we've seen as in previous chapters. So we're the bride. So, so God's Spirit issues the invitation through the bride, through the church. We're the ones going out on God's behalf, and we're, you know, inviter people. We're, we're going out saying, hey, come. You know, if you heard about Jesus, let me tell you. We, we've been sent out with a big stack of invitations to try to invite as many people to know the Lord as we can. Um, you know, when people ask you about the building project, boy, what's going on in your church? You know, just give them the answer. We're making more space for you. That's the answer. We're making space for you so you can come. And we want you to come and we're going to have more pews, among other things. That's what we're doing. And, and so we're to be out there. Look, look what it says in verse 17. Anyone who hears says come. So anyone who's come to know Jesus, even if you are the, the newbiest noob of a Christian, even if you've only known the Lord a short time, you don't have to wait till you take some evangelism training thing to tell other people to come. Because the gospel is that free, it is that urgent. We, we need to say, come, come to know the Lord, come to Christ. And so that's who the invitation is from. It's from God himself, the Holy Spirit, from, through the church, through all of God's people going out into the world. And, and the second part of an invitation then is that you're invited to something. So what is the event to which people are being invited? Is it, uh, you know, it's a Super Bowl party? Are we talking a graduation party? Are we talking a summer solstice cookout? You know, what, what is this thing to which we're being invited? And it's right there at the end of verse 17. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him come. Take the free gift of the water of life. The, the invitation is to eternal life. This is the greatest party <laughs> the greatest celebration, the only event ever worth attending, really, in, in the eternal perspective of things, is to be in God's presence and to have the waters of life. We read about this already. Go back to chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Remember reading about the water of life and eternal life with God? It says in Revelation 22:1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So eternal life, the tree of life, the water of life, the healing tree. No longer, verse 3, will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will, no longer be, uh, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is what we're being invited to, to live in the eternal presence of God, fully healed, forever free of death, forever free of sin, forever in the joyous rapture of God's presence and with God's people never to be separated again. That's the event. I mean, you, you can't beat this. This is the greatest thing of which any person can be a part. 
to dwell in God's presence and to know Him. And so God is inviting through the Spirit, through the church. He's inviting people to come to eternal life. But then there's a third part of an invitation. It's the person who receives the invitation. So who's invited? You have the sender, you have the event, and then notice you have the one who is invited. So who's worthy to go to this event? Who would possibly receive an invitation to the throne room of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to live with Him forever? And this is where the invitation becomes, as I said earlier, a jaw-dropping invitation. This is where you're going to start getting incredulous at this invitation. Because look what he says in verse 17. Let uh, whoever is, what, thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes. So if you want to, then come. So the only qualification for coming is a sense of your need for eternal life. It's to say, I'm thirsty. I lack. I want what God has that I don't have for myself. It's an awareness of one's need of a Savior and need of the waters of life that makes the invitation come to one. Well, then come to the waters of life. It reminds me of what Jesus said when he spoke the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I think of the woman at the well in John chapter 4 when Jesus was traveling through Samaria. He sits down by a well. A woman comes to get water. He asks her for a drink. It kind of freaks her out. They start talking. And uh, at some point in the conversation, Jesus says, you know, if you knew who it was that was talking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. You know, you, you don't know who I am. But, but there it is. But if you just knew it, if you knew what I had, if you simply asked me, I would give it to you. And so the the only sort of requirement is to know that you have the need of a Savior. As long as you think that you don't need eternal life, then you can't come. Just It's so interesting. You remember a couple Sundays ago, Pastor Rich Chamberlain was here uh, filling the pulpit, and he preached on Luke chapter 18. I love that story. It's the parable Jesus told of the the Pharisee, the religious expert, and the tax collector, the dirty, rotten scoundrel. And, and in the story, if you know the parable, uh, they both come to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee, the religious expert, comes and he says his prayers like, Oh, Lord, I thank you I'm not like other men, bad people, yucky people, or like that guy over there, the tax collector. I fast, I tithe, and he's boasting about what he does in, in terms of keeping the religious rituals and rules. And then the, the tax collector, who was a, really was a dirty, rotten scoundrel in those days, he, he came. He doesn't even look up to the temple. He doesn't even lift his head. His prayer is, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says that it was that guy who went home right with God, not the Pharisee, which is just so amazing. You know, all he did was come and say, I've got nothing except the problem. All I have is the need. All I have is that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. The guy who comes and says, actually, I'm not all that bad. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I've got some things going for me. Check it out, God. This, that, the other thing. God says, keep it. God doesn't need our righteousness. God doesn't need anything. He wants to give His salvation to those who recognize it. This is the biblical concept of repentance. You hear the word repent, you know, what does that mean? We don't really use that word anymore. Repentance means 
to acknowledge that you are a sinner and fall short of God's righteousness and that you simply turn and you kind of agree with God about yourself and you say, you know, I need God in order to be saved. I can't do this on my own. That, that, that shift of mindset is a repenting mindset. And so in order to, to come to the kingdom, you have to repent. You have to be able to say, I'm thirsty and needy and I lack. Um, a couple of years ago, a guy came to our church on a Sunday morning, he was just coming off a, a multi-day drug binge. And so when he walked into the church, he definitely was kind of glassy-eyed and uh, was struggling. But, you know, he, he said, you know, later he told me he, he just felt something compelling him to come into the church. So here he is, you know, with all these Christians, you know, shine, Jesus, shine. And we're like, hi, good morning, you know. And he's like, whew. Definitely not feeling like he belonged in a church. Definitely not feeling like he was among church people. Uh, and then we did our little handshaky greeting time thing that we do. Um, you know, Paul tells us to greet each other with a holy kiss. And, well, this is New England, so we handshake. But uh, we, we, were doing, we were doing the greet, the, the fellowship time where we greet each other in the name of the Lord. And, we were all, and so someone in our church, a member of ours, turned around. And here's this guy standing here. And he, he said, I felt so uncomfortable I felt so out of place. I didn't even know what to say or do. So he just blurted out. He, he said, I don't know why I'm here. I do crack and I do heroin. That was his, like, I'm here. And, uh, and, this, and this member of our church just gave him a huge hug and said, I am so glad you came today. You know? And until we see ourselves as the guy in the pew saying, I don't know why I'm here. You know, maybe for you it's not crack and heroin, but maybe for you it's, I, I am a greedy, selfish, stuck-up hypocrite. Uh, you know, whatever it is, whatever, until we can say that. And, and, and then God says, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. It's for those who need, know their need, not for those who have it all together, who think they have it all together. And then notice the last thing in this invitation, just to wrap up the invitation part of this message from Jesus. And the last thing is what you've got to bring. Whenever you go to an event, you always have to bring something. It's usually not on the invitation, but if you have any social awareness of all, at all, which I struggle with, you know, my, my wife has helped me there. Um, you know, it's like, honey, like, why do we have to bring a gift to this wedding? You didn't say bring a gift. She's like, you have to bring a wedding gift. So... You know, you bring, if you go to a wedding, you bring a wedding gift. If you go to a birthday and you don't come with a present, you know, it's very socially weird. Um, if, you go to a, if you go to a Super Bowl party and you don't come in with some food, like, come on, what are you, a mooch? I mean, just, you know, bring, <laughs> even if it's like just like a can or something, like bring something to the party. So, so what do you got to bring to eternal life? What do we have to bring to this party? And the answer is, it's free. Look at verse 17. Let him take the free gift of the water of life. Like, there's got to be a catch. It's free. You, you just, again, if, if you come trying to do an exchange or a barter with God, you can't do it. It's, it's free. This text is actually a quotation, or not a quotation, but an allusion back to the Old Testament, which we've seen over and over in Revelation. The language here is coming out of Isaiah chapter 55, which if you were here at the beginning of the service, we read as our call to worship. In fact, let's go there again. Let's put a bookmark here in Revelation 22. 
and go back to Isaiah chapter 55. It's on page 733 if you're using a pew Bible. And maybe you're unfamiliar with uh, the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 55, page 733. Here's where the language of come and drink comes from. Isaiah 55, verse 1, page 733 in the Pew Bible. Isaiah says, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? How much of our lives have we spent our efforts on things that do not satisfy. Listen to me. Eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. The best food is free. The, the, the food of eternal life is free. And then look down at verse 6. Jump down there. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and He will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon. And so there's that idea of, of being thirsty is the equivalent of saying, I need a Savior. I need someone to forgive me. God, you need to do for me what I can't do for myself. And it's free. It's free. You know? There's nothing that we, we bring to the table in salvation except the problem. It's, it's not like when you go out to eat, you know, someone's like, oh, no, I got dinner. And you say, oh, well, okay, let me at least jump in on the tip. You, know, you can't even jump on, on the tip of salvation. It's just nothing. We just can come and say, God, save me. And it's God who brings the free gift of salvation. We, we don't get to heaven through our good works. There's not a, a series of classes the church can put you through or some sacraments you have to take or uh, some you know, sort of regimen of penance that you have to do in order to kind of work off the bad and put on the good. It's just receive the free gift. This is what we call grace. You can't earn grace. You can't pay for it. There's no amount of philanthropy you can do or community service or giving back to the neighborhood. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, those are good things. But, but you can't pay for this. The, the, the chasm of debt that you owe to God because of your rebellion against Him is so bottomless that your little acts of payback are like throwing a pebble into the Grand Canyon. It's not going to do anything to fill it up. And so the only way we can get to God is if God comes to us and says, I will bridge the chasm for you. I will fill it up. I will make it good. And it's going to be a free gift. This is grace. Do you understand grace? A lot of Christians are still fuzzy on grace. A lot of Christians who still think, you know, the Christian life's about, you know, not screwing up so God doesn't get mad at me. It's grace. It's a free gift. It's amazing what God has done. Yeah, it just can't be. Can't be. Can't be free. It's free. You know, you can't pay back God. All you can do is receive it. And it's humbling because I think our pride wants to be able to pay it back. Our pride wants to be able to be worthy of it. And we have to lay down our pride and say, I, I just come to you with empty hands gone. And so the Spirit and the bride give the invitation. The invitation is to eternal life. It's given to anyone who recognizes their need and who will accept a free gift. So, come. 
Come. You know, I, I love it. It's so simple. Just come to Christ. Come. I, I don't know. I'm a dog owner now. So when I read come, that sort of took on a, I, I made a mental connection. Probably wasn't intended in the text, but it's a mental connection I made. Uh, but, you know, I have this little uh, terrier, and it, it looks like kind of like a big otter. And, uh, and, you know, but I love it. Sometimes I'll call my dog, come. And when she's in a good mood, she'll come just like tearing across the lawn to me. You know, on like that like full tilt dog run with their tongues like hanging out, and they're like, right? That's how you got to come to Jesus. Just come, you know? Or like little kids, little, you know, little kids. You're like, hey, come here, daddy's home or whatever, you know? And they just, you know, ice cream, come, you know? And they're like, <laughs> and they fall down and they get up and they're just, Jesus said, unless you come like a child, you know, to the kingdom of God. And, you know, the thing about what that verse means, come like a child, means to come recognizing your complete unworthiness and neediness. Because children were nothing in that society. They, they were, you know, they were not adults. They were not important. So you have to come recognizing that you don't have any right to come. Um, but you just have to run to Christ. As long as you're like, well, I don't know if I'll come. You know, I'm quite educated and I'm quite sophisticated and I'm quite decent, you know. My friend, all that thought and talk will drag you to hell. You need to lay off all that and just say, I need Christ and come. What is it that could possibly be keeping you from this? God summoning you to eternal life to anyone who will come for free? It's free. Well, actually, I should put a little asterisk by free. It's not totally free, is it? Somebody had to pay for this. And it was our Lord Jesus who paid for it. Which actually makes the grace part of it even more amazing than we ever thought. Because the way that it's free is that God's own Son came, took on human flesh, lived the perfect life of obedience that I never lived, and then died the death that I deserve. He took my place in life. He took my place in death. And so His righteousness is mine his, my sin is His on the cross. He shed His blood to pay the price. The most precious thing in the world, the life of God's Son, was expended to fill up that chasm of debt so that I could walk across the chasm to God. God has filled it up from top to bottom. It's amazing what Jesus has done. And so it's free for me, but it wasn't free for Christ. And so come. What, what could possibly keep you? from this King and this opportunity. Put your faith in Jesus. And if we won't, if we're still stubborn, if we're still set in our ways, if we're still self-righteous, if we still think we're smarter than God and more godly than, than the need of a Savior, if we still think we're more like the Pharisee and less like the dirty, rotten, scoundrel tax collector, then we have verses 18 to 19, which just help push us. If, if we won't be enticed, then then maybe we'll be uh, frightened into this. So that after you have this jaw-dropping invitation, just quickly here, notice a terrifying warning that Jesus then speaks a threat, really. Verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. So that's us. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are 
described in this book. And what does that mean to add to or to take away from the words of the book? Certainly it's talking about revelation, but many have more broadly identified it with all of God's word, which I think is is fair to do. Um, So what does it mean to add to or take away from the words of the book? Um, Oftentimes this verse is quoted as kind of a proof text for uh, debating against other religions that add to or take away from the Bible. So, you know, like, for instance, Mormonism has another book. You know, there's the book, but they've added to it, you know, the second revelation of Jesus Christ, which Joseph Smith purportedly received. And, And so it's an additional book. And so it's like, look, you're adding to the book. Or sometimes it's used to talk about people who take away from the words of Scripture. You know, if you go to seminary, you, you read commentators, you read theologians, you read all kinds of stuff, and, and there are uh, more theologically liberal scholars who will go through the Bible and say, okay, well, that definitely was not written by Moses. That couldn't have been written by Paul. Jesus never would have said that, so we know that's not really in the Bible. And, and you know, these, these enlightened scholars who, of course, living two millennia later, know better than you know, God about what God said. And so they just go through, you know, with their, their arrogance, excising things from the Bible. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's taking away from God's word. So certainly that would be an example of adding and taking away. But, but I don't want us to say, well, I've never done that. I've never claimed to have additional revelation from God. And I've never taken things out of my Bible with a pair of scissors. So I guess I, I haven't done this. But But I just want to think more about that phrase, adding and taking away. I actually think it means more than just literally adding or taking away words. Because I think what it means also is just to to do what God says. That obeying his word is what we're talking about. And disobeying him is, in effect, to add and take away. Uh, Look at this. Check out where the, the, the source of this concept of adding and taking away from. It's from the book of Deuteronomy. So put a bookmark here. And go back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4. It's on page uh, 175, fourth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy 4. Here's where the phrase comes from originally. Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 1. So here's Deuteronomy 4, 1. Hear now, O Israel. The decrees and laws I'm about to teach you, follow them. So it's about obedience. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving to you. Then here's the language. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it. But what? Keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. So not adding and not subtracting is the same as keeping his word. Same thing appears in chapter 12, verse 32. Chapter 12, verse 32 is, is sort of a lengthy, chapter 12 is a lengthy section on um, be careful not to worship idols, don't follow the religion of the Canaanites, don't walk in their ways. And then he sums up all of these commands about obeying God and worshiping God with chapter 12, verse 32. See that you do all I command you. Do not add to it or take away from it. So again, adding and taking away, the opposite of that is, of that is just doing what God commands. So, so to add, you can add and take away without literally adding words or taking away words from your Bible. You don't actually have to take out a marker and write down Revelation 23. I'm going to make up my own chapter to violate this command. It, it just means not doing what God says, not, not heeding his voice. 
And might I just add that part of that in Revelation includes the command to come. So come is part of what his word says. Come to Christ. Receive the free gift of eternal life. And so to reject that and to say, no, I will not, is in effect adding to and subtracting from God's word because you're in effect saying, that's not true. I don't believe it. I won't do it. So, or put it this way. It's not like there are some people who come and obey God's word and there are some people who add and subtract from God's word and then there's some people who don't do either but they're just not really into it. Like there's actually just two categories. There's those who come to Christ and then there's those for whatever reason just don't do it. They don't participate. They say no. And that's in effect adding and subtracting to his word because of what that phrase means. And look what happens if we add or subtract from God's word. I mean, this is, I said this is a terrifying warning. Look at it. Look at verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. I mean, that's just, wow. <laughs> you know, do you remember all the stuff we've studied in Revelation? This is a terrifying book in some places with the the images of judgment. And God says, if you reject Christ and His invitation, then guess what? You get all this, all the plagues. But you know, it makes sense because if I don't have Christ as my Savior, as my surety, as my mediator, if I don't have Jesus as my sacrifice and my high priest, then what exactly is it that keeps me from the judgment of God as a sinner? What, What else is going to go there? Who else died and rose again for sinners like me? Where's the other Savior who actually shed his blood and rose again? Where? So if if I say no to Christ, what's left to protect me on the judgment day? So of course, of course this is here to warn us. We need to come to Christ because Christ is coming back. Look at verse 30 or 20, Revelation 22. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And so we need to come to Christ. If you've never put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, His arms are wide open to receive and to forgive. If you have put your faith in Jesus as your Savior and you're a Christian, you need to come. You know, we stray as Christians, and we need to keep coming and keep coming back to the Lord. We never stop coming as Christians to to the Lord as He calls us. Even if you've been a Christian for 40 years, we need to come and keep coming to the Lord. Just being a Christian a long time does not guarantee that we're in a close walk with the Lord. That's, That's a daily coming back to Him kind of a thing, week by week and month by month. And so let us come, because He's coming soon. I love verse 20. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Amen? Amen. And amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that Your grace would be with us because, Lord, we need grace to be able to come. Even, Even the call to come It's something we can't do apart from Your grace motivating us. So, Lord, pour out Your grace on this church. Pour out Your Holy Spirit on this church. We pray, Lord, for revival and awakening in this church. 
We pray, Lord, for the gospel to, to burn even brighter than it ever has in this church. We pray for Jesus to be lifted up in this congregation, and not just our church, Lord, but other churches and all, all over the South Shore. And so, Jesus, we pray, come quickly, and until you do, pour out your grace so that we might be a people who come joyfully and, and happily and excitedly and energetically toward you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.